0: Well, we've been in 1 Peter, uh, a letter written to the elect exiles, uh, these new followers of Jesus who are finding themselves in modern-day Turkey, and uh, their life is in turmoil. Uh, They're experiencing a lot of the tension, uh, maybe even that we are sensing today, which is uh, we're in this season where uh, Jesus has lived, died, and resurrected. He's ascended into heaven, but... Now we're waiting together as elect exiles uh, built into a spiritual house together. Uh, Peter calls it a a holy temple, like living stones built on Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. We're we're living today as we wait for his return, but there's this tension that, man, things are not the way they ought to be. Our world, our, our lives, our families, our relationships, everything is broken and groaning. Uh, We're going to spend a little bit of time, before we get into the sermon, uh, just praying for the brokenness, particularly in Ukraine this morning. Uh, Twitter and news feeds and kind of all these different outlets have given us just a window into the realities of the brokenness of life in Ukraine. Uh, And maybe you saw uh, this clip uh, this past week or the week before going around of a a family worshiping God singing uh, he will hold me fast i'll just show you about 30 seconds of it just to spend a few minutes praying. You know, about one and a half million uh, refugees have fled Ukraine, uh, saturating the surrounding co- countries, and uh, we've seen a lot of death. We, we, we've seen um, a power plant, uh, a nuclear power plant now taken over, and it's like uh, there's, there's kind of a, a fear and an anxiety in terms of all of our worlds, right? But then when we think of men, women, and then you've seen the pictures of kids, um, man, wh- it, what can we do right now but pray? Just ask our Father, God, would you hold them fast? Would you be with these men and women and protect and care and provide in ways that, that we can't right now? Will we engage in every way we can? We ought to as a church and every one of us individually engage in every tangible possible way to help. Uh, but right now, let's come before our Father and pray. Uh, so let's talk to him for a few minutes and, and ask him to do a mighty work of protection, a mighty work of defeat uh, of this invading country of Russia, and do uh, a mighty work in the gospel too, in the church in Ukraine. Uh, the men, women, kids, and, and the church that are gathering uh, this morning, even. Uh, so let's let's pray silently. You know, actually pray out loud all together, all at one time. Let's let's talk to our Father in heaven for these men, women, and kids, and the church in Ukraine. Let's pray now. Father, we live in this time, this epic of brokenness, this tension of waiting for your son's return to make all things right, to to destroy evil and bring peace and justice and joy for all of eternity. But right now, God, we just pray that you would be, God, you would hold fast, you would protect the men, the women, the kids of Ukraine as they flee from evil and terror. God, would you protect them? Would your spirit come into just so many details and moments that, that we might never hear about? And, and would you would you protect these kids? God, would you protect the soldiers of Ukraine? Would you, uh, would you uh, push back uh, Russia and would you uh, destroy uh, this evil work, God? Would you, would you protect? And God, would you do a, a deep and a mighty and a vast work in the church in Ukraine right now? God, would you bring your gospel in ways that we would hear about in all of eternity? When we hear stories of lives being transformed and salvation coming, even in the midst of this disaster and disgusting evil, God, would you do a mighty work? God, we trust you. We love you. God, be with these people. God, be with these people in a powerful way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's sing together the song that this family sang. Just sing this chorus a couple times together. You can stand if you want you to. You don't have to. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Let's sing one more time. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Father, thank you for your son. That you let him go, that you crucified him on that cross in our place that we would be your family, your sons and daughters, who you would never let go, that you would hold us now into all of eternity. And that in your sovereign goodness, you would even break into moments like this in Ukraine, and many moments, and millions of them all over that country and the surrounding areas, to bring your salvation, hold your people fast. It's in your son's name we pray and we trust. Amen. We've got a, a sermon and a text that deals with all of eternity like this book does. Um, and we, As we have gone through 1 Peter, we, we hit this section where it began in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where uh, Peter is urging these new believers uh, as sojourners and exiles to keep their conduct pure and to live with such great deeds that those around them would glorify God in heaven when he returns, that that when eternity is ushered in, that the people that are surrounded, um, surrounding and, and interwoven into the lives of these elect exiles, that those people would, would see the conduct of the church and these individuals and and see the way they live and hear the message that they share about Jesus, that when... God returns to bring judgment over evil and injustice and bring grace and restoration into all of eternity that that these people that have that have seen the way the church has lived and have heard the message that the church is sharing that these people would would glorify God in heaven on that day that they they would be so prepared by The church and the way we have lived, and be so prepared by the message we have shared, be so prepared by Jesus and who He is and what He's done that they'd be ready to meet their Maker. And so, Peter talks about these different areas of life in which we live in Christ like conduct and character and share a Christ-centered message of who he is and what he's done. Uh, as we submit under uh, the authorities of government, as, as even uh, in the relationship of servants and masters, uh, God would live in uh, otherworldly obedience there, and then in the, the lives of marriages, we would, we would shine brightly in otherworldly uh, um, picture of Christ. And now Peter's going to sum it all up. And he's going to say, finally all of us each of us in this section live in a certain kind of way and share a certain kind of message and i think he says this because he knows what's occurring even in montgomery county today which is nobody showing up on a sunday morning for worship if they don't know and love jesus Nobody's going to kind of just walk into the doors of a Sunday morning. Now, now a few do here and there. You know, uh, somebody has a baby and they realize, "Oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing in my life." So they're like, I "Just got to go to church and figure something out, right?" Like, uh, or, or like some catastrophe hits and they're like, "I've turned everywhere else. I've turned to politics, to my education, to my friends, my neighbor. I don't know where to go. Maybe, maybe I'll just try church on a Sunday." Like, occasionally somebody just steps in the doors like that, but not normally. And this passage is written because really ain't nobody showing up on a Sunday morning just to figure out life. So Peter says, you are where you are right now to live the way you're called to live so that people would scratch their head and say, you're living so differently. You have such a different hope that I want to hear about it. So we'll look at that because people aren't running to church these days right here. But you and I, we run towards them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in our neighborhoods with co-workers, friends, family, surrounded by people who need a message that brings eternal salvation starting today in relationship with the living God. Because people are dying without Christ. Uh, so we'll look at uh, you know, how do we shine in our lives and then when do we share and how do we share. And, and then what's really fun is we're going to get to end with a baptism. Uh, because that occurred in this gal's life. She's going to share the story of, of how folks around her shine and share and, and how she now wants to live a life of shining and sharing the good news of the gospel. So let's get into it. Uh, we'll kind of move through a bunch of verses fairly quickly. So first, how to shine for Jesus. Right where we are, surrounded by people who are dying without him, but close to us and the grace of God because of it. So Peter begins this passage, he says, you know, Finally, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So he says, finally, uh, you, you want to live this out in every area of your life. We've covered a whole bunch of these areas, Peter says, but now finally all of you, everybody, and now he's going to mark the kind of character we ought to live with and the kind of conduct we ought to have so first he talks about our character, have a unity of mind, have have that same mind as Christ, who is our template, our example and our power to live. And in the middle of the section, we see verses 21 to 25 in chapter two, just uh, Jesus is lifted high as the example and the power in in order to live this kind of way, this kind of character and this kind of conduct. He says, have that same unified kind of mind as Jesus, our savior has live that way. In your character, would you, would you be people of sympathy, brotherly love? This is a word that often doesn't describe me, probably doesn't describe you, a tender heart, a humble mind. It's the kind of character that, I, and maybe if we capture it, it, it'd be that we're kind people, we're gentle and humble in spirit. People want to be around us because oozing out of us is this humility and kindness where we we live for them. And even when we're sharing truth, we're sharing it with gentleness and respect. That's our character, that of Christ, humble, sympathetic, gentle, tenderhearted. And here's our conduct, uh, returning the opposite of what is expected, uh, as Jesus did in his life. It says in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary or in contrast to what's expected, bless for this you were called. So when someone pours evil on your head, don't don't return evil to them. When someone reviles you or slanders you, don't don't uh, slander or revile them in return. Uh, Do what is unexpected and return a blessing for a curse give what's unexpected what can only be a, a Christ-like gift a Christ-motivated gift a blessing when you were reviled or slandered do you hear the words tenderness, meekness humility, gentleness, kind people right? who give blessing for curses and kindness for reviling but this is where we are today in the middle of the state of the union and our representatives i think it's a fitting title representatives of where we are today Shouting out, build that wall. Or 13 of them, you kill. You killed 13 of them in the middle of the state of the union. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. It's disgusting, isn't it? I want us to hear what's going on in our minds and our hearts right now. That's disgusting. You people who do this or that, you you don't have any morals. You have no scruples. You're a terrible people. You too should be ashamed of yourselves. You deserve to be voted out or worse. That's what's going on in our hearts and our minds right now, isn't it? And we're no better. You're no better. I'm no better. But we've kind of lived in this Trumpified relationships with one another and not just in the political sphere but at our uh, dinner tables or with family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. The way we interact over masks. The way we talk about and can't talk about race and, and injustice and inequality and how we're, we just we can't do it, right? Because why? No tenderness, no humility, no sympathy. To talk about truth, honesty, real things, but to do it in the ways of Christ. We ought to shine in our character and our conduct in stark contrast to the screaming world. There is only way, one way this is possible, and that's through looking at the example and being empowered by the person of Christ. I mean, listen, if you back up into the heart of this passage where Peter is now drawing his final conclusions, and the the, the pinnacle of it, verse 21 of chapter 2, he says this, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, a a stencil, a template in in which to write our lives around, uh, so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but have returned to the shepherd and overseers of our soul. The one who didn't return reviling for reviling or evil for evil, but, but instead, do you remember when he's up on the cross in Luke chapter 23? If you have your Bibles, maybe turn with me there. It's a, a pinnacle moment in Jesus' life, Luke chapter 23. When he shines in the character and the conduct of, of only, uh, in, in, in only the way that God could do, he, this occurs. He's. He's, he's hung on a cross between two thieves. They, they've already stripped him. They, they've beaten him. They've, they've falsely accused him in trial, and he's hanging there on a tree. Two others, Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, Jesus said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them if they know not what they do. When reviled, when cursed, when hung on a tree, he returns a blessing uh, to rescue us. Even as he's praying this, he is doing this. In his death and then in his resurrection, he's saving us and offering us forgiveness that that ought to so transform our hearts and our minds and our character and our conduct that we would be the kind of people that Peter is now describing to live among the kind of people who are dying without this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. This is the kind of blessing that we are to extend, and and it brings great blessing in our life. Uh, Peter will will go on to say here, uh, verse 9, You are called that you might obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He says, when you do good, who could harm you? you have a clear conscience. you, you live with this uh, character and this conduct which, which is right in line with a person of Jesus. Uh, who could harm you? Verse 13. It will be a great blessing to you. God will have his eyes on you. Verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. If you live this way, if you're not hiding sin, but, but your uh, life is that of righteous conduct, if, if you're not hiding Jesus, but you're living with him in the forefront of your life, letting him shape everything you do and the words you share with others, who could harm you? Who could harm me? What a blessing of a clear conscience, no hidden sin, and living and sharing about our Savior. As we shine, notice how the sharing then comes about. Verse 14 goes on, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And then I think uh, the NIV does a good job interpreting this a little more smoothly. Have no fear, do not be frightened. Have no fear, do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Notice the process of the verse. Uh, First, set apart in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in all that we are. Christ is Lord. Put him on the throne. Make him the umbrella that covers every aspect of your life and shapes every uh, aspect of who you are. Uh, Put him as number one on the priority list. Uh, Much unlike Herod, the king, when when this new king, baby Jesus, was born, he said, kill everyone else, uh, kill all these babies, two and under, because I don't want a new king in my life. Uh, Much unlike him, when we set Christ as Lord of our lives. First, set Him apart. Let Him influence every aspect of who we are. Like like a, like a web, would, would Jesus be the center and, and then our, our work be shaped by Him? Would our family life and our, our relationships and, and the way we uh, enjoy recreation, would it all be shaped by Him? Him is Lord. If that's true of us, everything in our lives will look different. Everything will shine Differently. We'll be able to share even our shortcomings. Every time we, we, we fall and stumble and are complete jerks to those around us, we'll be able to say, would you forgive me? We'll work differently. We'll be different husbands. We'll be different singles. We'll be different college students. We'll be different people. And then he says, get ready. Be prepared. Because if you're living like this, someone's going to ask. <laughs> It says, be prepared. So step back and think about the why. The, the why do I specifically live this way at work? Why do I specifically live this way at home? Why do I specifically live this way on Sunday morning and go to worship? Why do I live this way? And, and be ready to give an answer when somebody says, why do you go to church? Or why do you treat uh, your work this way? Or, or why did you do that which was so awful? And then you can say, oh, please forgive me. And you're able to uh, bring the grace of Christ even into those moments. When, when people ask why, you can give a reason for the hope that you have. When people ask, we can answer. This takes knowing the specifics of why we live the way we do, motivated by Christ, and it takes knowing the specifics of the good news of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done to rescue us, to make us sons and daughters by his grace. Sometimes I've wondered, you know, man, why are more people not asking why I'm living a certain way, right, in contrast, in a sense, to this world. Uh, Sometimes it's because I'm not living any differently, and when I'm not living differently, no one will ask. That's the reality in our lives. When you don't live differently, no one will ask. But then uh, what I found is when I wait in longevity of real loving relationship, and I, I sprinkle in little things like, yeah, I go to church this morning, or I'm a pastor, right, like I've got that one, so it's an easy one to bring up, right? Uh, or when you sprinkle in, yeah, I was reading my Bible this morning and I, I was learning something. Or I uh, going to, a, to a church, or man, I really messed up uh, yelling at my kids and I had to ask for forgiveness. You sprinkle these different contrasting things in and you do good towards folks. Uh, uh, sometimes I just realize it's, it's just a matter of time, right? Sitting back and waiting. For when it all hits the fan in their life. And they realize they don't have anybody to run to that looks stable and sure. And and sure, we have messy lives, but there's a stability that comes in the grace of Christ and being his sons and daughters and his children. And they say, I'm going to go talk to him or her. That's when we get the chance to share real good news of a God who meets us in suffering, a God who meets them and walks with them in suffering. So wait till it hits the fan. They will ask you. If you're living differently and living in relationships with folks who don't yet know Christ. So how do we share? How do we share? A little bit of nuts and bolts. I've been learning a lot from Eugene Peterson. Uh, Listen to Burning in My Bones. It's a a biography of his uh, about him. And and then uh, the pastor, it's his own kind of autobiography or memoir. And and, uh, he he writes this. uh, And I think it's a good guide for us about the how-to. I grew up in a Christian home with good parents. I was told the story of Jesus and instructed in the way of Jesus. I was loved and treated well, and childhood was a memory, as a, was a fair approximation of the Garden of Eden, a good and wonderful life. He had a good life growing up. He was a pastor right here in Bel Air, Maryland, by the way, and, and he wrote the message, the, uh, uh, the translation of the whole Bible. It's really wonderful stuff, and, and I'm looking up to him as a pastor, and he goes. And I went off to school. This is first grade, and I discovered what the gospel of John named the world, those people who do not regard God with either reverence or obedience. This knowledge entered my life through the person of Garrison Johns, the school bully. He lived in a log house a couple hundred yards beyond where I lived, in the yard littered with rusted out pickups and cars. And then he talks about this really cool experience with Garrison's mom and how she was tender and kind, and, and he goes on. About the third day after entering first grade, Garrison discovered me and took me on as his project for the year. He gave me a working knowledge of the way uh, what 25 years later I would realize through Richard Niebuhr, he would give me a more sophisticated understanding of the tension between Christ and culture. I'd been taught in Sunday school uh, not to fight and so had never learned to use my fists I had been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing things like, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. And I don't know how Garrison Johns knew this about me, but some sixth sense that bullies have, I suppose, but he picked me for his sport. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found out that I was a Christian and he taunted me with, Jesus, sissy. I tried finding alternate routes home and making detours through valleys, but he stalked me and always found me. I arrived home most afternoons bruised and humiliated. My mother told me that this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I'd better get used to it. was <laughs> kind of a bummer. <laughs> I was also supposed to pray for him. I was also supposed to pray for him. Uh, the Bible verses that I memorized, bless and turn, began to get very tiresome to me. March came. I remember that it was March by the weather, and the winter snow was melting, but these were still patches of snow here and there, and the days were getting longer. I was no longer walking home in the late afternoons, dark, and then something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends on this day, eight or seven of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing and taunting and working himself up to the main event, and he had an audience, and that always helped him. He always did better with an audience, and that's when it happened. I totally uncalculated, totally out of character, something snapped within me. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness. I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized that I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me, uh, he was at my mercy, and it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fist. It felt so good, and I hit him again. Blood squirted from his nose, a lovely crimson in the snow. And by this time, all the other children were cheering and egging me on. Black out his eyes, bust his teeth. A torrent of biblical invective poured from them, although nothing compared to what I would later in my life read in the Psalms. And I said to Garrison, say, uncle, I said to him. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. And I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. (laughs) He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. (laughs) More blood, I tried again. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. (laughs) I love that. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. And we will mess this up in our lives. We really will mess this up. But here's a couple things I found very helpful. Here's a couple things I found very helpful. Uh, The first is this. Love somebody. Do something loving. Tangibly loving. Out of your way. Go out of your way to love somebody. Uh, One of our community groups found that this single mom had just had uh, another child, and they said, we're going to provide a ton of meals for you. So they did. And this gal said, why is your church doing this for me? Love somebody. Do something tangible to love somebody. Second, share your failures. Share a failure. Share a time in your life when you needed the grace of Christ. And let that time be from that week your mistreatment of your wife. Your wife's mistreatment of you. Uh, how you're uh, feeling the weight of your singleness. How you messed up at work. Share, share a failure and then talk about the grace of God in your life and how you're, you're going to try and live differently. Would, would even they help you in this? I use this one. Can, can I pray for you? Uh, sometimes somebody will share something with you and 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 it'll just kind of go past but but could you say this and can i pray for you and then say when they say yes because they'll say yes uh, then say can i pray now for you and then pray right then talk to god your our father who's so kind to us and and would he give His kindness and show his kindness to them in that moment pray the gospel pray the good news uh, this one I use all the time. and uh, I say, uh, this is going to sound weird. This is going to sound really weird. Some will be sharing something in, in my life. They'll say something like, man, I just thought I would have more of my life put together right now or I'd be a bit happier right now or have more peace or whatever it might be. And then I'll use this line. I'll just say, this is going to sound weird and unconnected. But can I share a story with you about kind of what I believe in the Christian faith or from the Bible? And, and then I'll, I'll just connect it to where you're at a little bit. Would you mind if I did that? And most often they'll say, yeah, that'd be fine. So then I'll just share how how Jesus has made us sons and daughters and how this impacts every aspect of life. And then particularly in that area, how this is good news to that area of life. Maybe you're not satisfied because you're looking for satisfaction in a bunch of places that were never meant to fully satisfy you. I had to find that in my own life too and and every day I have to remember that when I keep chasing more numbers or more church plants or different buildings or whatever it might be in the life of a pastor. He's the one that satisfies, right? So share. This would sound weird but can I share it with you and then connect it to the good news of the gospel for them. Lastly, invite. Invite somebody. Invite somebody to read a book to your 3D or to Sunday morning. I hope there are folks here that don't yet know Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you are invited by somebody. Just invite someone. Uh, The best book I've found to read is Encounters with Jesus. It's a great little book by Tim Keller, and it's a great book to read with somebody who's trying to figure out who Jesus is in their life. Or invite them to your 3D and let your 3D know, hey, uh, a friend of mine's coming, and he or she doesn't yet know Jesus. Awesome. Would this person come and be able to figure out faith over time or at least meet some Christians there? Invite somebody to do something fun along with your church friends, right? Integrate your church friends and your normal friends, right? Bring them all together. Or invite someone to a Sunday morning. Well, now uh, probably you're feeling good and guilty. Like me. Because I look back at my life and I say, man, I'm really not sharing the gospel a lot this past year. And when I ought to be shining and sharing, I said, I'm, really, I'm shady and silent. And that might be you, which is why I'm so glad the verse ends where it ends in verse 18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit and that's going to be the same Spirit He's going to chase down everybody even these uh, crazy souls of old he, uh, in the time of Noah when, when the, the, the floods came and, and Jesus is even there uh, bringing the good news then and, and then he says uh, you know we have a clear conscience just like that that overflowing of water our, our clear conscience doesn't come from the fact that we are baptized like uh, cleaned up by the water but it comes from the fact that we are baptized into Christ who now saves not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. He says, you know, you have not been living the way you ought to live. You're not shining, you're not sharing. We're not doing all we could do. He says, but that's why Jesus died for us, the unrighteous. Him, the righteous, for us, the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And then he says, and you've been given this mark, this baptism, and it's a, a mark of a clear conscience. Because you've died with him and you, you're now risen with him in newness of life. You're, uni- you're united with the righteous Jesus who's both our example and our, our power for this kind of living. So what I want you to do when we prepare right now for this baptism is just to pray a little bit. As you take communion, if you're a believer in Jesus, uh, you're covered in his blood. You, he, he, the righteous one has died for you, the unrighteous, that you would shine and share all about him. But we know we don't, so let's pray about that and, and talk to Him who is our Savior who did die for us. Ask Him how we could live a life that would shine more for Him and share more boldly the gospel. And then I'd say, also begin praying for people by name in your life that don't yet know Him. Uh co neighbors, coworkers, friends that God connected you in life to that they would see the way you live, ask, why are you living that way, and hear the good news through you with gentleness and respect. And then we're going to share this story and dunk Caitlin in the water and sing praises to our God, who's brought salvation in our life, but then transformed the way we live. That we would be people who would, man, we'd shine for Him, and then we would share as those around us ask, what, why do you live that way? So let's spend time in prayer If you take communion now, then we will dunk Caitlin.